I want to welcome everyone back to the Duck Pond Wall, a little show here on the radio where we talk with someone very interesting. And guess what? My guest is so interesting. <laughs> I want to introduce you all to Eric Smith, Eric Drummond Smith. Thank you. Emory and Henry, class of 1998. How you doing, Eric? I'm really well. How are you? I am great, and I'm so excited to have you on our show today. You know, probably I didn't have to introduce you because everybody already knows you. You did. No. You're everywhere. True. Yeah. I, no. It's true. It's totally <laughs> true. So I want to I want to say that one of the reasons that we're talking today is because you are a professor at UVA Wise mm-hmm. and the radio station has just had some very exciting news and that we're expanding our signal and we are now WEHC Emory and WISE Wise. Oh. And yeah, we're we're actually like Broadcasting. Oh, wait, you want more? Wait, there's more. Tell me all. I know. I see your excitement on your face. Well, you can also reach us or hear us in Clintwood at 90.3, Norton at 91.7, and Pound at 91.3. And Wise is broadcast on 90.5. So there's no excuse not to listen to this radio station anymore. I, I'm actually, I was actually, when I heard this, I was really pleased because that way I can listen like my whole commute. Because yeah, exactly. uh, I where I live in Abingdon and drive the wise, that's perfect. That's yeah. glorious. All right. So you you live in Abingdon. You teach at UVA Wise. How long have you been there? Oh golly, uh, I think f- this is my fourteenth year. Oh, I thought you just graduated like fifteen years ago. It feels well. I mean, I graduated from like from forty different schools, so it just feels like that all the time. And PhD at UT, right? Yeah, go Vols. Go Vols. And how many master's degrees do you have? I have a master's in East Asian Studies from Virginia. And from Tennessee, I didn't get a master's. I got a basically everything but a master's in political science. I didn't I didn't comp. Uh, I just went straight through to the Ph.D. I Um, tell everybody you have 10 master's degrees. It feels like and I mean, it's I have the coursework equivalent of two masters. Yeah. And then I have I got a UVA. I also got a years of intensive study in Chinese Mm -hmm. uh, from Beloit College up in Wisconsin. Now, in college, I have three bachelor's degrees. Really? Yeah. I was a political science, art, geography triple major. And I missed I, – I almost stayed an extra semester because I would have gotten a religion major too. Well, and uh, that would have been what, the quadruple threat? Oh, and you probably danced yeah. too. Oh, you monster. I, well, d- I did. I, you did dance until you broke your leg that time. Dancing. I was I was the designated driver for a uh, soiree. Uh-huh. I was having a, shall we say, a, not a fun night because of – Designation. Girl issues. No, no, it was girls. It was girls because I'm, you know, I was the 21, and uh, I uh, 22. Pardon me, I just turned 22, mm-hmm. and and the guys were all like, "You're being boring." So I went and danced to Criss Cross's masterpiece, "Hip Hop Will Make You Jump Jump." Uh-huh. Uh huh. And all of a sudden, I'm laying on the ground, and my leg it looked like somebody had. Uh, oh, don't tell us. Hit it with a bomb. Yeah, oh it was great. heavens! Yeah, no, I, rem- I remember Claudia Duffy used to make fun of you for that. As I everyone recall. made fun of me for that, <laughs> and continues to do so. Oh yeah, we're not going to forget tradition. that. Mm-hmm. No, we're no, not no, going to no, forget no. that. All right, so, um, so you teach. Actually, I noticed on the website it says you teach politics. Is political science not a term we use anymore? No, I mean it's all. There's a lot of ways of just saying it. So, uh, I teach. I, I teach politics because in political science, we we kind of have the political science part where we're trying to study what humans actually do. But because we feel in political science that it's so important that people have knowledge of power, also be responsible with that power, we also, as part of the political discipline, tend to teach political philosophy. Oh. So I teach our all of our classes on international relations, 
on uh, comparative politics and most of our uh, political philosophy and theory courses. That sounds like a lot. It's a bunch. Are it's there bunch. other people in the in that department? We have one other full time professor. Whoa. Yeah. So you so guys are like one armed paper hangers over there. We're we're both very very busy. That's it. And uh, uh, my peer Heather is amazing, and uh, Heather Evans, who has a radio show here at WHC. That's right. I remember to talk. Red, white, and confused. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No, I like that show. It's fun. She's cool. She's very cool. She's brilliant. She's yeah. like Genuinely, like her papers are. She's a real nerd. Um, <laughs> and we like those people. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But it's it's we we both just kind of just teach until our eyes bleed, metaphorically speaking. Yeah, so to speak. So, but that's what you do at a liberal arts college, right? So, right, right, right. Yeah. And and so, tell me. Well, we're going. I want us to talk just for a minute about what it's like to teach politics in this environment. Um, and and I'm not saying that this environment is necessarily all that different from other environments and you're always really good about checking me on the fact that oh you know it's not as new and different as you think it is (laughs) and actually one of the reasons I've appreciated your friendship over the years is that you know I'll be like freaking out about something and I call you and you're like let's put this in perspective so is so is this a different time in the world does this or does it just feel different to me because I don't know I think there are things that are new, and then there are things that are the same as always they've always been. So, like, we, all right, let's do with the new first because that's easier. So, there's social media, there's the internet, there's, uh, I mean, in my, in my, these are things like since I was a young adult. There's twenty four seven cable news. Mm-hmm. These three things alone have fundamentally altered the way we discourse about politics in a way that I think is not really healthy. Uh, and we I don't think as a culture, arguably as a species, I don't think we've learned how to deal with it yet. I mean, I think there's a part of me that thinks, oh, but we have so much more news now. This should be a helpful thing. We're not in the dark. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't feel like that's how it's going. That is exactly – that was the dream. Like when I, I remember the first time I had internet regularly was here – as a sophomore, so second semester sophomore year, here at, at glorious M. Ryan Henry College. Yes. And I, I was rah rah, uh, blue and gold, rain on high. Um, and I, I, uh, <laughs> I remember like really thinking hard about what were the implications and being really, really optimistic. You know, I mean, it was a really optimistic time in politics too. Like the Cold War had ended. There was this kind of American triumphalism and this sense that, like. It's the, you know, the old song, it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That's how I always describe it to my students. Yes, I think I remembered um, Eugene Wolf saying that at the at the Moonlight Drive-In during pandemic. Did, really? Yes, and if you didn't hear it, then you missed out. I, I'm confident I did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's what it felt like in the early 90s, early mid-90s. And, I, uh, I, and now the internet, what I've realized is it's not mediated well, A, and mm-hmm. people are addicted to repetitions and then oh that's interesting i thought you were going to go with a different word there what which one well sensationalism or what the biggest outrage is or what the biggest well that's part of it too uh-huh. like the algorithm problem right so the algorithms of these different things feed us what we're most interested in the problem is often what we're most interested in is not what's most accurate or useful uh, so it feeds us outrage or it feeds us content that reinforces beliefs we already have. Is that what you mean by repetition? Rep- well, repetition is also like like the 24-hour news cycle. So like I have so many p- 
people that I care about in my life who will watch, you know, either MSNBC or CNN or Fox News all day long. And they're hearing the same thing from different angles, repeating it over and over and over. And they only listen to one thing. And what that you're they're basically what they're doing through that gross repetition is they are. I, I hate to use the word brainwashing, but to a degree, what they're doing is they're because that strong, is how people brainwash. Yeah, they're 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 reinforcing a belief in themselves without any critical comparison. Yeah, and and uh, so I I recommend people have very narrow periods when they take in the news. I mean, I'm a political scientist. I don't spend more than an hour and a half, two hours a day, even if things are really dramatic. Yeah. A, because I don't want to be depressed. And it's very easy to become depressed yeah. when you have just negative, negative, negative. Yeah. But B, because what I'm really interested in is I, I have a selection of different across like the kind of ideological range of curated high quality news sources I go to from around the world. Yeah. And then I also listen to a lot of long form discussions. So like let's say there's an issue come like right now China's kind of blowing up. Yeah. And uh, China's like one of my main things I study, but even I am like studies. Exactly. Exactly. And but I'm like I literally am looking for anything where it'll be like four or five political scientists or economists or journalists or people who people politicians um, who have focused on what's going on in China talking yeah and to and each other to each other yeah. yeah and and through that discourse they realize things that they wouldn't have done by themselves and then you also you want to listen to the historians you want to listen to the sociologists you want to listen like hear people who are experts on narrow bands and then once you have enough of that deep stuff and you're keeping up enough with what's going on then you're i think you're in a good place what what are some news sources that you do like and mm-hmm. maybe recommend i regularly listen to uh I, I, now i'm a big podcast guy yeah because i can it lets me now that doesn't mean i'm not listening to the news right. I'm, i can listen to newscast when it's convenient sure so i can compact it into my commutes or whatever so i listen to npr i listen to bbc i listen to cbc canadian broadcasting mm-hmm. uh i listen to christian science monitor and read christian science monitor I read and listen to The Economist. Oh, yeah. Um, Wall Street Journal. Wall Street Journal has a really, really wonderful short twice-a-day podcast. Oh, uh, nice. That's, it's very, very good. Uh, I listen to Al Jazeera. Right. Um, and then I have a whole lot of different international media that I listen to more occasionally. I probably subscribe to like 50 or 60 podcasts, but I only listen to like – a few, the ones like I've just listed, I listen to almost every day. Okay. And so all those stations have a podcast too? Is that what you're saying? Yes, yeah. yes. And that's what that's what you sort of... Those are what I go to first, and then I go read online, typically 15 minutes to an hour a day. Now, I read fast, so... But, I mean, like, we're also getting to the problem of, especially, like, international politics, right? Like, I, I everywhere I've been in the world and all the people I've met, they're always complaining that Americans don't know what the hell's going on outside of the United States. I'm sorry, I said a dirty word. I apologize. Oh, I think we can use that. Oh, good. That's mm-hmm. okay. Good. Go balls. Um, Let me give you a list of what we can't say. No, I think I know what they are. I just okay. gotta be an adult man. Um, I, but I, <laughs> uh, I, I did used to have a WEHC show. So. Oh right, 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 right. It was magical. 
What, was, was it music or talk? It was music with uh, talk in, in between. And then one one year we did a dating show uh, that no girls called into. <laughs> I it don't was even Valentine's. have a comment to make. It was, it was. It really told me exactly where we were. Yeah, yeah. On Thursday night on Valentine's, trying to do a dating a dating show at Emory and Henry. That makes me happy. Well, and you um, know, it's funny what you're talking about the different news sources. I remember being. Yeah, I, I don't exactly travel a lot, but my first real foray abroad, mm-hmm. and I was watching the news, and to hear what they said about the U.S., I was like, "Oh, that's interesting," because I really had not paid that much attention to how like another country would talk about us and our issues and our politics and that kind of thing. And what we just neglect. Yeah. And and I think but the dilemma is what I always tell people from other countries is like you gotta remember the US is the size of a continent. You know, right. we we've got a third of a billion people. Yeah. Uh and we have a culture that's pretty we, it's all over the place. It's all over the place. It's really diverse. It's but it's also very internally focused. Mm-hmm. Like we want to trade with the world, but most people. Then this isn't like the the intellectual nerdos or whatever. Most people are are surprisingly kind of not interested in what's happening outside of their locality. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 I'm like so so it's like just getting all that information about everything else in the United States is sometimes kind of complicated. Right. Well, so, all right, so when you're talking, when you're teaching, how do, how do you teach politics right now? What, I mean, where do you, where do you begin to sort of talk about what the world, and do you talk about world situations? Do you talk about U.S. politics? What do you, where do you, where do you start? Well, I teach, most of my classes do not focus on American politics at all. Interesting. So, well, that's just what I, that's what I do. You know, I, I have one class that's explicitly about the United States, American foreign policy. But I have a, a firm belief that a all right. Let me let me start with this. It, my approach to teaching politics has been one of trying to be aloof, for better or for worse. This is the decision I made a decade and a half ago. That I did not want to. I wanted to be able to teach people from all over the political spectrum, and that meant, in my eyes. If I was going to be able to give advice to uh, people of anywhere on the spectrum, if I was to be able to teach fairly people, for me that meant I wanted to be as neutral as possible. Like I try not – I every blue moon I've advocated for candidates who I know personally very well. Mm-hmm. But then it's normally – it's little. Like, But I just don't – I try to be very, very – I keep my opinions to myself or my friends. Well, and you're good at that. And it's it's interesting because as much as you know and as much as you are in, enmeshed in that world, it is interesting to me to watch you keep that balance because I've seen you in situations where I'm like, oh, he's going to he's gonna say something now. And, he, and then you don't, you know, and it's just interesting to me to watch that. But that's got to be hard. It's very difficult. And, and it's especially when I have – it's something I have a strong opinion on yeah. myself. Like, but – but at the same time, like I think most, especially because I'm teaching these classes that are t- more typically, most of my classes are upper upper level. Mm-hmm. Um, they're people who are they're they're mostly majors and minors, or people from other social sciences or history. Yeah. Um, and and so my students are choosing a life of service typically in some way, shape, or form. Oh, that's interesting. 
And and it, it is. It is. And I'm very proud of my kids. Yeah. And I'm like, even if I disagree with them on particular politics, what I know I could do is make them a conscious of the scientific method in, in politics. Okay. And conscious of the fact that we can know what is true and know what is not true and then also know what we don't know, like which is a really hard thing to sometimes admit in a very ideological world. Right. Um, and then also that, that I can teach them enough political ethics and philosophy that they, they have learned how to live well with each other and, and to accept the tensions in life of I believe in this, but I also believe in this, and they disagree. How do I manage that? And, and which is so important, especially when we live in a world where we don't all agree, which yeah. is reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to remind everybody we're speaking today with Dr. Eric Drummond Smith, who is a professor of politics at UVA Wise in Wise, Virginia, and has been there, would you say, 14 years? I think 14 years. That is, yeah. that is wackadoodle. It's I just pretty crazy. That, yeah. It seems like you just finished. So it might be 13. If I'm wrong, please don't. Don't yell at me, anybody. <laughs> I'm going to call HR right now. And just oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. Well, so I'm, I, wanted, I want us to talk about another aspect of your life, which is the fact that you are also a very well-known artist. And I'm going to make that transition. I'm not going to do like a screech to the halt and like pivot. Sure. But what I do want to do, because <laughs> we love that. I want to hear that sound effect. That's all I can say. Okay, I'm going to try to find that. So... But instead of doing that, what I want to do is start with this to say you do take such a great you do such a great job of of giving us the long view and being aware of the long view and um, balancing what we hear in the world right now. And yet it's still complicated and it's still harsh. It will never be easy. And I will. Yeah, I wish you would. So uh, I'm I have studied politics intensely at minimum for. 24 years, I guess, like since at least since I was a freshman and now longer than that, like 28 years, I guess, at least since I was a freshman in college. Uh, Dr. Fisher's class here was my first right. advanced political science Steve class. Fisher. Um, and uh, I still feel every day like I don't know what the heck I'm talking about. And I read constantly mm-hmm. and I'm constantly blown away by how much there is. To learn, because the most complicated thing in the physical thing in the universe is the human mind. Right. There's eight billion of us on this planet, and our social, political, and economic interactions all go in to the final output of what we call politics. So politics is arguably the most complicated thing in the known universe. And because there's so much, there's so much going into involved it. In there's so, so much, much exactly. There's personality so many moving, and personality, ideology. Uh, culture, um, geography matters, economics matters, uh, like like every history. God, oy vey, like every everything matters. The environment. The oh yes, absolutely, absolutely, and and so we have all these moving part religion and and the more I learn, the more I know that I will spend. If I live another fifty years and spend that whole time reading as much as I do now. I still will be just a newbie to understanding human politics. Wow. And and I'm okay with that. A little frustrated. I'd like to live for a few more centuries and really get a handle on it. But but I also I'm like like I think that that's part of it. Like if like that's one of the things that frustrates me when I hear people talk about politics, especially like 
big fancy, big name elected officials or what have you, and they act like they've got it all figured out. I'm like, you don't. Nobody does. Like, like you may have something figured out, maybe one or two things, but not the whole picture. Have some humility over like how ignorant we are. We're just ignorant. We all are. We all are. Well, I think you said an important word there, and that's humility. And unfortunately, yeah. I I don't personally always see that a lot in the political realm. And so, but I do think it keeps you more open to what issues are if you do have at least an ounce of humility to say, I'm, you know, I'm still learning. And, and that's pretty cool to hear you say that. It helps us avoid traps, intellectual traps, ideological traps, like the things that make us keep doing the same thing, group think traps. Like when we keep doing the same thing over and over, even though it clearly isn't doing what we want it to do, it's we're, we've trapped our brains. That's really what we've done. Hmm. And, and, it's hard to admit we've been wrong or that we didn't know enough. Yeah. And uh, and part of the dilemma is in politics is there's a real fear that if you admit you were wrong or you admit you didn't know, then people reject you. Right. And so you lose what actionable power you already had. Right. So There's not much room for that. Yeah. Well, all right. So I'm guessing you managed to still hold on to some hope in your world that you still – maybe not – um, <laughs> you're, you, you, you snickered. Um, your your art I find to be very fun, and oftentimes hopeful in the fact that mm-hmm. you. Well, maybe maybe hopeful is not the right word. No, I have you hope. Keep, you keep a sense of humor. Let's put it that way. I sure do. That, I would be lose, I would lose my mind. Oh, yeah. that's very kind. Thank yeah. You. So you do keep a sense of humor, and so how how do you do that? How do you find that that realm of Humor and hope and the light that you need to have in your life to keep from letting all that other stuff just make you crazy. Well, one is I really do think about normal people. Like, you know, uh, like like I do – politics makes me crazy. The masses of humans, great numbers of us together, we're jerks often. And certain individuals are just horrible humans. But there are a lot of wonderful human beings who do a lot of wonderful things. And I mean, yeah, we're the same species that does perpetrates horrors, but we also do amazing things, and that's part of where it comes from. Like we do beautiful, beautiful things. Um, I have a friend who tries to remind me of that when I'm like rolling my eyes about people. She's like, "Yeah, but but look what these other nice things that people do. Those are people yeah. too. The nice people are absolutely. People. And sometimes what's really disturbing is they're the same people. Yeah, it's very, it's very. But that's the truth. The truth is that we're not easy or simple or or all good or all bad normally you know what helped me with that what this is not going to surprise you buffy the vampire slayer (laughs) i wanted so badly for buffy to be all white hat all the way and good guy all the way and she wasn't oh yeah you know and i had to really struggle with that that was interesting for me i gave up any belief in all white hat very quickly studying politics i uh when again when i was at emory in Western traditions, I when we read second semester, we read uh, extracts from Machiavelli's Prince. And I felt like I didn't understand it well enough, and it was important. So I went to the library, and I checked out the book, and I read it three times in a row. It's not a long book, you know. I don't, I'm not trying to make myself self Still, fancy. you've read it three times more than I have, so just Oh, saying. you should. It's very I interesting. Yeah. And he's a very – he's I like, like there's some wonderful books about him. He's a very funny man. He was a very – in many ways a very sweet man. But he was also a man who had seen humans do really bad stuff. 
and had come to the conclusion that sometimes that was necessary. And the, the problem is that sometimes to do good, he argued, we have to do evil. But we have to be so good when we do evil that we know that we're still guilty. We're uh. still doing the wrong thing. But it's the wrong thing for the right reason. So we stay, we, we feel the guilt, we feel the weight, and that we, we, we are engaging, we're engaged in a very complicated, very hard moral process when we do things like international politics. Mm-hmm. So, do you think people do that? Do you think people know that this is a, you know, like I think an, some a necessary, or a necessary, excuse me, a necessary evil? Yeah, I think some people do. I think some people, just like Machiavelli is often misunderstood. So you have the whole summary of Machiavelli, right? The ends justify the means. And there's the right way to read that, which is some things are so important that when the rubber hits the road, you have to do things that otherwise wouldn't be ethical. you know. And some things, most things, are not that important. And so you have to use conventional ethics. The problem is some people think about that and they make it selfish. And they say whatever is beneficial to me and my quest for power is justifiable, which is not what he was saying at all. But how do you find those people? I mean, how do you find those people who are actually big enough and and awesome enough to be able to say, no, no, this is about the greater good. This, this is about something bigger than me and the people who – got me here. This is more, this is about the humanity. This is about nature. This is about the world. Yeah. How how do you, where are those people? Occasionally they just show up. That's part of it. Like part of it is like through their experiences, through their education, they show up. You know, he, Machiavelli believed, you know, our, our motto at Emory and Henry, Mach de Vertu, Mm -hmm. you know, Machiavelli believed, he wrote a lot about Vertu and about how virtue was something, you know, that that is critical to being a good political actor. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be able to develop that. Now, his idea of virtue was very different than the ancient Greeks or whatever, but because it includes these realistic things. I don't know if it's that different from Aristotle. Anyways, we don't want to go into that. They'll, they'll take over everything. But, like, so I do think part of it is a proper education. I think part of it is habits that we learn, especially from our parents and our childhood, you know, um, and I think part of it is is the experiences we have, especially when we're young, uh, help to mold us. Right. But though, though our whole life we're going through that. Right. But I also think that the problem is, and Machiavelli recognizes this, there's a comparatively few people who are really good at that, the good princes. Right. And, and I think that's why we have to do what, like Madison said, and design good institutions that encourage us to act like, quote-unquote, good princes, even if we're not good princes. And then there are checks and balances that help keep us in line? Exactly. Like So so if you read about Madisonian theory, it's basically saying that like we can expect people to be selfish. We can expect them to be self-interested, to care about their personal interests or their factual interests. And so we design our institutions to take the energy of self-interest and through competing force cooperation and competition in ways that is productive rather than destructive. And that includes like the balance of powers, which right. you kind of got that idea from people like Montesquieu and 
Montesquieu. Yeah. I don't even know Montesquieu. He's dead. It sounds like it would skew the results, though. Montesquieu. <laughs> All right. We are actually. Negative 40 points. Hold on. We are almost out of time. But we are we really? But we haven't talked about art. Would you be willing to stick around and do another half I'll, an hour and talk to. about art? All yeah, right. Absolutely. All right. I'm going to wrap up today's show and say thank you. Dr. Eric Drummond-Smith, professor of politics at UVA-WISE, for being with us today and helping us think about a lot of political um, landscape. But also, I want to talk to you about art. And so if you'll stick around, we're going to do part two of this for um, um, another little art conversation because... You're brilliant. We can't. I am not. We but thank you. Rope you into thirty minutes. It was. It was a lot of fun. I hope I didn't ramble too you much. You did not. All right. So I want to remind everybody. Thank you again for listening to um, the Duck Pond Wall and for being with us today. And I also want to remind you that we are now available in more places on your dial. We are now WEHC Emory ninety point seven, WISEFM Wise at ninety point five. Clintwood at 90.3, Norton at 91.7, and Pound at 91.3. This is the voice of Southwest Virginia, and we're so excited to have even more of Southwest Virginia as part of our family. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Go Emory, go UVA Wise. (laughs) 